This was also payback for the meeting where I read the riot act to them for being silent on COVID and told them that they turned into the party of principle and they ought to disband right now. And they didn't like me saying that. Um, and all the same people that voted against actually doing something or COVID, the same ones who tried to remove me, it was all just payback for, for calling out the national party on that. And then this thing, because I won't be silent about the failings of the national party. All right, welcome back to the channel, everybody. Um, today I have a very special guest. Um, some of you may know her, some of you may not. Um, she is the secretary of the Libertarian Party National, and she is our Pink Flame of Liberty, Karen Ann, Karen Ann Harlos. Welcome. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. <laughs> um, so I'm actually fairly new to the party. Um, I just actually joined recently, but I'm not new to libertarian politics. I'm not new to libertarian values. So um, for the first thing I really want to kind of get is how long have you been a member and how long have you been on the executive committee? Okay. Um, you're going to be able to tell right away I'm autistic because I know the exact date. Um, I registered libertarian September 17th, 2014. <laughs> And I got on the LNC first as region one representative at convention in 2016, which would have been May ish. So around May 2016, I was regional elected regional representative served for two years. And then in 2018 was elected to my first term as secretary. And I'm now on my second term as secretary. Okay. And what, um, what side of the aisle were you on before you moved over? none um i didn't vote really like i would vote probably in i was like a christmas and easter like type voter like i would vote <laughs> in the presidential elections only because i'm like so superficial because i wanted the stupid sticker which i, ha I have a bunch of them on my wall i'm so stupid like that <laughs> and to get off of work i didn't really care to be honest with you i i just i used to take great pleasure in florida we had we had some mail-in but they would also send us the uh like sample ballots and I used to take great pleasure in just throwing them out though I did retrieve the gore one with the uh hanging chad because that's going to be worth money someday um but yeah no I but I was registered Republican but to say I was a Republican would be a stretch it was mostly because my church like the church I went to when you accepted Jesus you also accepted the Republican Party um that's just how it was I was a Democrat before then and um <laughs> it didn't mean anything they yeah so technically a republican but in reality okay. nothing <laughs> so you've been on the democrat side you've been on the republican side and now you're now you're actually deeply involved in in libertarian politics so what changed for you then i read the platform that's okay. uh, that's the only thing that made me change is i read the platform um one lunch break, I, I read the platform and immediately switched my voter registration. My husband was out getting lunch and he kind of comes back and he said, I said, hey, I switched my voter registration. And his little words were to what? You don't even vote. And yeah, that's how it all started. <laughs> so then yeah. what made you want to get involved as much as you have? Obviously, I mean, being on the LNC and everything, it's, mm -hmm. it's quite a step from not being anything in 2014 to going full out and being very involved it is and it's a long story um 
that's almost as silly as this wanting to vote for the sticker. Um, I only joined the National Party because there was an ad on Facebook that um, where they said they'd give you a free T-shirt. <laughs> and I wanted that shirt bad. So, yeah, I joined. And when they called and asked me, I said, because I wanted the shirt. But I moved to Colorado from Florida. And I worked from home in Colorado because I kept my Florida job. And you don't realize how many people you meet through work or church. And I was here for a while and still didn't know anybody. And my husband kept saying, you know, you need to get involved. You need to meet people, though he regrets that really now. So I was just <laughs> looking for something to do. And I got involved with the local, with, with the Colorado party, helping them with their social media. And things just got out of hand from, from there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see that. And social media kind of tends to do that to us. That's kind of how it brought me in. And I think we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago on Clubhouse real quick. Um, and that's actually why I wanted to bring you on, especially because mm. we were having a great conversation. But um, Clubhouse is one of the things where it's like you want to give other people time, especially to ask yeah. like you questions and everything like that. But I mean, I was just telling Ryan Graham um, that I wasn't part of the party a few weeks ago or a few months ago, maybe. I wasn't part of the party because I thought libertarianism, like, being part of a party almost went against my libertarian values, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to be tied to something, something like, like a party where you want to be kind of free to be able to make choices based on the candidates that you see fit. So, but then New Hampshire obviously happened and that changed a lot of things. So for better or for worse, I mean, that made you probably one of the, one of the most popular people in the party, <laughs> you know, but it also, it made me realize that if I, want to if I want to make changes in this party I have to be in the party so that's why I I did it and I also think Ryan's doing great things down here but it was kind of ironic that everything there happened and um it completely changed my whole stances on 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 the way that liberty work you know how we sh how we can be shaping this party in, into everything so <laughs> and so what's it they're actually and it, it ties into New Hampshire which is kind of funny um, so, you know, I did, I got very involved with Colorado and I'm always a history buff and no matter what I do. So I started getting into a lot of the party history and I learned about something that happened in Oregon where the, where the national committee really, really interfered in Oregon. And at that point I was very, very protective of Colorado. The whole reason I got on the LNC to begin with was to protect Colorado, Colorado from the national committee. And that's why I got as regional representative. So I'd be directly representing Western states, including Colorado. Um, and that's always kind of been my view. I've never trusted the LNC. I never became part of the machinery. I always viewed it almost like a necessary evil in some way, though now I'm beginning to question whether it's even necessary. And it, so my view has always been distrust towards hierarchy and the hierarchy within the party. And it's funny that now, however many terms later, my whole purpose for getting on the LNC was to protect states from national. And that is what actually happened in New Hampshire. And I even told the people in New Hampshire and standing up for you guys, I was protecting Colorado by proxy, because if it happened to you, it could happen to Colorado. And yep. it's funny, yeah, it's, it's come full circle that I actually fulfilled the very reason why I got on the National Committee to begin with. And it's yep. also funny, I, I dropped something um, where you said, 
Oh, that made you like a popular person in the party. It depends on who you <laughs> ask. The LNC hates my guts. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I say I don't mind being hated by all the right people. Well, I thought it was kind of ironic. And I know you had mentioned that you ran on a platform of being of, of, rooting out, of being a whistle of whistleblowers and protection and stuff like that. And it's interesting to watch the party that wants to, you know, free Edward Snowden and Julian Assange wants to come after you and, and, and basically take you off the board for doing just that. Yeah, it, because there was corruption last term. Um, there, there, there was a group of us actually calling out corruption last term that Nick Sarwark um, named the, was it the Notorious Nine? It was actually 10 of us. I don't know how he got nine. He counted, I think, uh, <laughs> regional and, and their alternate as one person. And well, I was part of the smart. Notorious Nine. And so at the time I re-ran there was already a big split on the LNC um, between people who were calling out corruption and, and those who would not. So people are wondering why, like, how did that platform even come up that you would run on it? Because I was in the middle of doing just that then. So it's so funny now how, you know, people want to remove me for doing what I promised and how the fellow yeah. notorious nine members are no longer whistleblowers. They're part of the crew trying to uh, to throw me off. Yeah, and I I think I mean that's that's I've heard other people that used to be part of the party say you know the Libertarian Party has the same problems as the two major parties without the advantage of winning elections, um, which is true on on the national level, not so true on the local levels anymore. Mm -hmm. We're starting to gain on on local levels and and all that, um, but it it, it really. It absolutely is uh, completely interesting. And I had, like I said, I kind of even just got turned on to the party during the 2016 election, um, though I didn't vote for Gary Johnson because everything that he was so bad at. Um, but that's kind of what brought me over. And then I started learning more about Nick and everything like that. And I had just, like I said, I had just had Ryan Graham on and I told him, you guys just got over this P PR nightmare that was Nick's store work. And now it seems, and, and it seems like everything's calming down. And then New Hampshire happened where it was like the same stuff. It was just this big party politics that, um, and a lot of corruption. Um, do you want to kind of explain what happened in New Hampshire? Cause I don't know if everybody in my audience, um, knows. And yeah, to me, it's fairly obvious that the, the, there's some facts that aren't yet determined, but you can draw a lot of very, very reasonable inferences from the things that we, we do know. So, um, God, it, it, it's so hard to like even back up because there's so many moving parts and, and it, it, it stems back to Nick actually, because, um, originally, cause Nixon in New Hampshire, which, which is a whole other thing, but the Mises caucus, which is a caucus within the libertarian party. That's very much the, of the Ron Paul, um, revolution um, yeah. kind of like the next generation of that, which is very much at odds with Nick. And the, and the, the people who are very popular in the Mises Caucus, such as Tom Woods, um, Jeff Dice, the Mises Institute, Dave, Dave Smith, um, Nick Sarwark had decided it was his job as chair to start attacking other libertarians, those people. So it turned into this, this big battle. And the Mises Caucus has 
a goal like all caucuses do. They shouldn't, don't lie, Pinocchio. They all do. They're just, the Mises caucus is open about it and used rhetoric that a lot mm -hmm. of people didn't like saying they're going to take over the party. But if you ask them what they meant by it, it just meant winning at their particular agenda, which is what all caucuses want to do period. They just might not mm -hmm. be as forthright about it. And I find it really funny when the Radical Caucus gets all upset at the Mises Caucus, because the Radical Caucus, their goal is to re-radicalize the party. How is that any different? The rhetoric is the same. And um, the Mises Caucus, though, is successful, unlike the Radical Caucus. And they won. They did a clean sweep of the board in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire was kind of a woke stronghold of the Nick Sarwark variety. So was Nevada. They also took over. They also did a clean sweep of the board in Nevada. And however, the chair of New Hampshire was not a Mises person. The Mises people took the attitude that they were going to extend the olive branches to those who weren't hostile but weren't Mises people by electing some non-Mises people to the board as long as they felt they could work with them. And the chair of New Hampshire was one of those people, Gilletta Jarvis, who is a good friend of mine. I don't know if she would still consider me a good friend. I still consider her one. And, um, but Gilletta was easily influenced and people who weren't happy about what happened with the Mises caucus. And Gilletta wasn't happy with some of the messaging of the Mises caucus, um, got to her and she was ready to resign because she felt she couldn't manage this board, that she was too at odds with the board. And someone had said to her, you don't need to resign, there's another way. And basically arranged a coup of the New Hampshire party where she just basically said, you know, I'm, I'm taking the party and moving it to a whole other board and just forget you guys. I'm like forming another parallel New Hampshire party with new bylaws, new membership requirements, and got a letter from the national chair um, basically saying this weird language, the party of which you are chair is the legitimate affiliate of the national LP. And she goes, <laughs> see, this is the transfer of affiliation from the old New Hampshire party to the chair of, you know, to this one. And Joe, the national chair, never denied that that's what that letter did. He just got all upset and like deflected. And um, she said he knew perfectly well what he was going to use that letter for, which he was going to use that letter for. She published it and said that's what it was for. He never came out and said, whoa, you know, I gave that you that letter for for another purpose. And they based in the National Party basically allowed her to just abscond with the database, which political parties live and die on data. And she was claiming they were they were the party now. And she even said to me, you know, if convention were tomorrow, no, you'd be seating delegates from my party, not this other party that was the one that elected the Mises people. So it was basically the national chair aiding a complete, yep. you know, transfer of affiliation. That's just not how it works. Um, and, he, and he, of course, never denied that. And I, I later found out that the letter, he made it seem like she called him and asked him for this letter. It was a routine thing. He assumed it was in order to get control of the Twitter account, which she 
which happens. Sometimes chairs lose control of a volunteer and they need to give Twitter some documentation to prove that they're the legitimate owner. And it turned out that isn't what it was for. And we found out, though, that Gilletta never asked him for that letter. So his story makes no sense. An out-of-state person who I don't know the identity of yet called Joe and asked him for this letter. It wasn't even somebody from New Hampshire. It wasn't even somebody who had anything to do with the New Hampshire party. So Joe knew what was going on. This completely uninvolved person asked him for this letter. Gilletta uh, said she hadn't talked to him in over a month. And he like led the LNC to believe they were talking all the time. And with it being an out-of-state person, it then all of a sudden becomes not just strictly some kind of internal New Hampshire squabble, which was bad enough. It makes it look like a coordinated, like, well, we're going to try this on New Hampshire because we're not happy. And if it works in New Hampshire, then yeah, probably Nevada and then probably Colorado, because we also had a clean sweep of our board. And I already started seeing signs of setups being happened here. So, yeah, that's it in in, in a nutshell. And um, the day she published this letter and saying, I'm the new party now, basically, I was in Florida acting as their their parliamentarian. I saw this come across and I didn't know what happened. I knew Gilletta. I didn't know any of it. If I did, it was very casually. I couldn't have named or pointed out the expression I like to use is, you know, point out in a lineup and people going, that's an interesting, don't take any, I always use that. I say that about everything. I couldn't point you out in a lineup. Um, I didn't know any of the Mises people. So I um, said, well, I got to figure out what's going on here because this looks like another Oregon, which I'm always on the lookout for. And that night I got on Zoom with and interviewed all the people I could find, Gilletta, and recorded it and all the Mises people. And apparently Joe didn't coordinate the stories well enough with Gillette and it all came out. Like what actually happened came out. And that wasn't planned on by the the conspirators or whatever you want to call it of this whole thing. I think what they counted on was institutional inertia and it was already happening even within two days. Everyone throwing up their hands going, well, we can't figure it out. Let New Hampshire sort it out as if we as if the National Party didn't set this whole thing up. Oh, this is just some internal state thing. Let them figure it out. No, it was provoked by somebody out of state colluding with the national chair to take over the New Hampshire Party. And my getting on these interviews right away is what blew the whole thing up. And nobody had time to organize their stories. And that's what made me the most hated person on the LNC and very heroic with some other people. Though I hope I just did what most people would do. Um, I just happened to have the time to do it. It wasn't like there was something special about me. I had happened to have just quit my job. So I had a lot of free time. And if I hadn't quit my job that week, I wouldn't have had time to do those interviews. I would have left. I would have been in my hotel room catching up on work. Um, So just everything aligned where I could take the role I did. It wasn't anything particularly special about me. Um, And the funny thing is there were other LNC members in the room with me at the time of those interviews, but I was the only one singled out for the vitriol because I pursued it and wouldn't drop it and called it what it was. Like, I don't pussyfoot around. I'm like, nope, this is corruption. Yep. And uh, 
yeah and i just kept going after it and eventually me myself and joshua smith um joshua not as much because again he has a bunch of kids to take care of he didn't have the time wasn't that i was more special than joshua it's just i had the time and between the two of us we it led to the pressure that led to henchman resigning um which is a good thing that he did because the lnc never would have removed them they would have just swept it under the rug and then they tried to remove me and they were going to go after Joshua next. So it's funny. They never would have removed the national chair, but they came close to removing the whistleblower. Exactly. That, and, that, and, that's, and that's absolutely, absolutely crazy. And, and when stuff started coming out, it was, it was, you know, as a former army officer that used to do investigations and stuff too, I looked at it. I'm like, so either JBH was incompetent when he signed that letter because he didn't ask what it was for or he knew exactly what was going on so it was one of the two um and neither one looked good for him so it and i was i watched the lnc meeting when you guys were all voting on that and it was ironic because you brought this up too because they wanted to oust you for you know decorum and and all this other stuff and and so it was interesting because you've said this to me before is they've they've said so much worse to you than what you've said even just broad statements right and and the things they object to i don't i say in my personal life like i don't at a meeting i've never screamed at anybody i've never cussed other people have quite frequently i've never showed up to a meeting intoxicated which other people have done that that meeting where the same night that richard longstreth was penning the motion he shrieked at me at that meeting so yeah it is it is quite Mm -hmm. ironic um it's physician heal thyself and they just didn't like that i had opinions on the lnc um i always refused to circle the wagons i refused to keep things secret and this was not just payback for there's another meeting that I'm going to rebroadcast my speech from it because this was also payback for the meeting where I read the riot act to them for being silent on COVID and told them that they turned into the party of principle and they ought to disband right now. And they didn't like me saying that. Um, and all the same people that voted against actually doing something or COVID, the same ones who tried to remove me, it was all just payback for for calling out the national party on that and then this thing because i won't be silent about the failings of the national party and i never have been people think this is a new thing i started doing this in 2016 i brought up where when nick signed this contract with the gary johnson campaign campaign that had a clause in it that was to be kept secret from the membership forever not for a period of time to protect the campaign whatever i could get that no forever and as an lnc member i knew what it said it was stupid it was just lawyers just being lawyers but i was like no 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 and you know these battles are nothing are absolutely nothing new um and and it's because i didn't join the lnc for the title i didn't join it for like this whatever kind of lp glory there is i joined it because I didn't trust it. And I've always had that attitude. And Joe, actually, I need to find the, the, the email where he said this, where he was railing against people basically who joined the LNC to keep an eye on it rather than to be this, you know, 
I don't like collegiate bureaucratic little, you know, <laughs> hug club. And no, I, I tell, I tell, I used to tell people all the time and people who've heard my interviews. Well, I, I think I even said this on Tom Woods. It's like, I tell members, watch us like Hawks. Don't ever trust the LNC. Watch how the sausage is made. I'm there when the sausage is made and I wouldn't eat the fucking sausage. So just watch us like Hawks. Don't, tr don't say, oh, I, I trust my representatives. I don't trust me. Don't trust us ever. And that's the way it should be towards anybody in power because power corrupts. Yeah. It corrupts liber even libertarians. And that's the healthy attitude to have. And Joe is very, very scornful of that. And I think the majority of this LNC is very, very scornful of that. Like they yeah, think they're, they're, they're a better type of person and they're not. Government is made up of like the government that we all hate is made up of people just like us. Yep. It, and it, that's the thing is if we spent half the time going after the Republicans and Democrats that we do going after each other, we would be a lot further along in building this platform. But it was interesting because you're right. And, and political parties are interesting anyways, because you have the you have the national party, you have the local parties, and then you have the candidates. And there's kind of a power struggle between the party and the candidates, right? I thought it was really interesting when, when uh, JBH blocked Shane Hazel on Twitter the day before he resigned. I mean, you could see it coming. It's like, you're going to block when you're, most outspoken candidates um, and probably the most famous candidate you guys even had last year. He probably got more press than Joe Jorgensen did in the, in the campaign last year. And then you block him on Twitter because he disagrees with you. That didn't, I mean, that's kind of to me signal he was on his way out. Well, and I since found out though, I it's from credible sources that I can't name. So it's not verified. But the same period of time when Gilletta said she was going to resign and someone called her and said, and it's that out-of-state person, there's another way. I learned that JBH was planning on resigning at the June LNC meeting, and then he changed his mind. I think he got the same phone call, um, but it was kind of the last-ditch effort of the wokesters, you know, Yeah. basically. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny so, thing is, is I, I've joked about this too. I, I say, I think it comes with the pink hair dye. I'm a bit of an SJW myself. Like I'm sympathetic to that <laughs> point of view. And for me to be frustrated and over it says something because I, you know, the, the, the dye has, has sunk into my brain a little bit, you know, and I'm not like one of those, like, I, I don't even know the, like, you know, it, the red pillars. See, I don't even know what you'd call it. I'm very like social justice myself. And um, I'm tired of it and, and see the havoc that's been been done to the party. But that goes along with it. I mean, if you're more of a social justice warrior, you want to call out corruption. It's 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 the opposite type of social justice is what you see on like the left, for example, who wants government to do everything you want lower government because you see the harm that government creates right. so you see the harm that and that's again that's the whole reason why it took me so long to join the party is because it's a government agency you don't trust it you can never trust a party to uphold your values because you never know what's going on behind the scenes and it's reassuring to have people like you and josh and everything like that kind of watching watching things that are going on up there 
And yeah, it's, there's something about it's, it's power in general that you've got to be very, very careful when you get into these positions. And I think it's critically important to put people in these positions that don't trust institutional power. And part of the problem with the LNC is we're electing people that, that, that value the titles and value the institutional, the institutional power. And even people who didn't start out that way, there's something that happens. And, and, and I could see how easy it is to happen. There's very, very often that it, it's so easy, the, 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 the temptation to go along to get along is great, where I've found mm-hmm. myself even at times being, being pulled by that. Um, and I've said in the last year, and this is also one of the, the spiteful motivations for the removal motion, because I, I went after some fellow radicals, I say, I'm convinced that the LNC is where radicals go to die. Because the, 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 the two alleged self-professed radicals on the LNC are the worst. Their voting record is the absolute worst. And it's like, there, there, there's a joke uh, in the Christian community. It, it's on that tape called Stuff Christians Like, which is just hilarious, where it said, um, the worst people to do business with are any of those that like have a, one of those Christian fish in their ads. It's like the minute you learn your roofer is a, a fellow Christian, you're like, oh, I'm screwed now. Um, it, 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 it's the same way now with the radicals on the LNC. Oh, a radical got elected to the LNC. We're screwed now, you know, because they turn into the opposite of what they're supposed to be. Well, you see it. Um, it's the old, it's the old notion um, that I've seen because my background, I came from the right. I was a Tea Party conservative and everything like that. And the old notion is that there's something in the water in Washington, D.C. that once people get elected, they just they, they lose their values. I mean, it changes the way that they think about things. And it's exactly the same thing. It's like once you get that power and like you said, the go along to get along, it's like once they get there, I mean, especially when Donald Trump got elected, it was like for the Republicans, it was like all those I mean, other than, you know, Thomas Massey and um, Rand Paul and Justin Amash, it was like mm-hmm. all everybody just fell in line. Ted Cruz, Dan Crenshaw, and all those people who were liberty minded people just fell in line with this big government propaganda. You know, it was like one and thing Rand Paul people, did oh. more than he should. He <laughs> fell in line quite oh, a yeah. bit too. Uh, Amash Absolutely. and Massey were the best. Yeah, and and Amash is now essentially with us so and that's 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 a that's a positive aspect as well um i'm he he spoke a little bit when i was up in michigan um the second day so that was it was really interesting i like seeing i like seeing the 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 heads like um spike amash and dave smith all kind of talking together i mean that there was a day on clubhouse where it was like the three of them and it was really a great conversation i wish that could be more the focus of the libertarian party instead of reading out corruption because it was new hampshire but it was pennsylvania first trying to not they weren't trying they were trying to not seat the mises caucus people right they were trying not to not let them vote is that what happened pennsylvania well see the 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 funny thing is and and pennsylvania set up me for new hampshire in a way because it, it, it gave me a certain credibility i was parliamentarian for pennsylvania and very well known to be mises sympathetic i'm not part of the caucus but I disagree with them on their interpretation of what happened in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, it might have been uncollegiate, 
It might have been rude to your fellow um, LP members, but there was nothing shady at all about what they did. They followed their own rules. Mm -hmm. And anyone could have read those rules and prepared and joined the party before the seasoning period. I think it was a six-month seasoning period. No one was stopping them. So, no, they played by the rules. Again, it might have been a rude use of the rules, but it wasn't unethical. It wasn't shady. It wasn't corrupt. And I know that was the narrative immediately that the Mises people said, and I did a whole show on it going through it. And I think I changed a lot of their minds or go, yep, we should have been better prepared. But that gave me, I think, credibility in a lot of people's minds because the temptation would have been to be just, yeah, you're right. They fucked you. Oh, but they, no, that isn't what happened. And I will, I try to, because my integrity is the only thing I have. So I try to call things as I see them, not how I'd like to see them. And not to what would be to my advantage or my my self my self interest, and my self interest at that time would have been to throw the Pennsylvania chair under the bus because I had a petty grudge against him. He was a good friend of mine, and he endorsed my opponent without even like he was a friend and didn't even bother to tell me. I've had to find out publicly, but no, he wasn't corrupt at convention. He did what. I was sitting right next to him. So even though I had every um, incentive to throw him under the bus, I would not and did not. Yeah, I think that is key. Um, I guess I was missing that as well, is that they they did everything under their bylaws. It's just, um, it was that the rules are usually waived um, and people usually just generally assume that those rules are going to be waived. But um, when you have the Mises caucus coming in and saying, we're going to basically stage a coup in the party and, and, and take over, that's exactly what the bylaws are set in motion for more for people like the MAGA crowd or the, the Groypers or whatever it is to come in and, and kind of steal the party. But um, I mean, that is what the bylaws are there for. Um, right. You can't, and, like you said, it's it's a lot different situation. Um, it still got the same like same type of. It didn't get the same amount of press because it was it was under their bylaws. And funny is even I said this too that that night, like at I went to the Mises party and people like they're witnessed that like I yelled at Heiss. I said, "This is what the fucking takeover language got you. Are you happy?" <laughs> You know, he was like, whoa, you know, yeah. but it is. That's yeah. what happens. I don't like that language. I know what they mean by it. And what they mean by it, there's nothing wrong with. But, yeah. you know, yet you, you sometimes when you grab the bull, you get the horns. And that's yeah. what happened to them. And they bore the fruit of that language. But that's their choice. And that's fine. It, it, it They think it benefits them more than it hurts. And that's their business. I'm not a member of that caucus. And yeah. all it did in Pennsylvania was delay it a year. And maybe it was for the best. Maybe they weren't ready in Pennsylvania. But yeah. now they know to follow the rules, to read the bylaws. Yeah, and it should be, it should be, every state needs to look at that and, and see what the, and know what the bylaws are and know what the rules are, because it's not a guarantee that those rules are going to be waived. Absolutely. Well, and you're and right. I mean, that to is be able to waive a seasoning requirement is dumb because if there's enough people there to take over your party, there's enough people there a lot of times to waive it. 
The whole purpose of a seasoning provision is to be a fail-safe that can't be waived. That's the whole point. Um, so Pennsylvania's bylaws need a whole lot of, in my opinion, A, six months is too long and it shouldn't be waived. It should be closer to three months and non-waivable, which I'm yeah. prejudiced. I tend to think Colorado does everything right. Ours is 90 days and non-waivable. So be like Colorado, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think um, if I'm not mistaken, even Ryan's trying just to get rid of the provision here in Georgia. So I don't know. It's it's a big mistake to get rid of a seasoning provision. Big, big mistake. It should be 90, I, I, I think 90 days, 30 to 90 days is reasonable. Um, six months is way too long. Um, but to not have it, you're going to, you're going to regret it. There's a reason why most states have them. And it all came about after the Howard Stern takeover in New York and a little, knowing a little bit of history will save you a lot of future grief. And I'd be more than willing to talk with any bylaws committee that's considering getting rid of it. National should have one as far as I'm concerned. Interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not exactly sure. I thought he, he talked about either shortening it or um, shortening it. Rid of it. Okay. But yeah. yeah. But getting rid of it's a bad idea. You're good. Look, Virginia, you had um, Trumpsters taking over affiliates. T talk to Texas. Texas has takeover provisions. All, I mean, take attempted takeovers all the time. They're quite open from certain fringe conservative groups that either are like Texas cessationists, like that might have some sympathies to the LP, but don't like, you know, maybe our social stances, you know, they're very, you know, anti-gay mm -hmm. or something and, or very borderitarian. And um, there's attempted takeovers all the time. You need to protect the party and takeover, anti-takeover provisions are just good business. That's good to know. So kind of switching directions on, um, a little bit. And I know you said you're not part of any caucus and this was kind of, you, you talked about this a little bit on, on Clubhouse about this, about why, um, about why you're not part of the caucus, if you want to explain that a little bit. Okay, when I was regional representative for the first two years, I was a member of the Radical Caucus, a very active member. And I found at times the interests of the caucus were not the same as the interests of my region. And I was elected to represent my region. And that's what I would choose. And there, there, there's this, a, a lot of things you know, I make a lot of biblical references because I am a Christian. And, and there's there, there's a saying in, in the Bible that you can't serve two masters. Um, and you can't, you can't represent the interests of a caucus and, and the interests of the party at the same time, because they're not always going to be aligned, which is why I didn't rank this has nothing to do with caucuses, but it's the same principle. Why I didn't rank Whitney Bill you high to be the 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 replacement chair because she was not going to resign from the chairmanship of Texas. Well, the interests of Texas are not always going to be the same as the interests of the National Party. And I don't and it had nothing to do with the size of the job, because I hate when people tell try to tell me what time I have. I would never say, Whitney, you can't handle both jobs because she's a grown ass woman. She knows whether she can. It's not a matter of that. It, it, she could be the state chair of Delaware, a tiny little affiliate. And I still would be opposed because the interests of Delaware are not always the interests of the National Party. And who's she going to choose? And you tend to choose your home state. It just tends to be. Um, 
like my, I'm still very protective of Colorado, you know, it's just, it's natural. Um, so I found, I was at odds with representing the two. Um, and I didn't want to be answerable to the caucus. I needed to be answerable to my region. So I resigned the caucus um, when I ran for secretary, particularly because it was an officer position, which I felt was even a higher fiduciary duty to the national party. Um, but it wasn't just that. I found, because I was such an outspoken advocate of the Radical Caucus, that a lot of the debates on the LNC ended up, instead of arguing with me, they were arguing with me as caucus member. Like, they would just bring up shit the caucus did that they didn't like. And, like, all of a sudden, like, I had to answer for that. And it happens now with, like, Joshua with the Mises Caucus. Yeah. To me, he should resign the Mises Caucus while he's on the LNC because it's not doing the Mises Caucus any good and it's not doing him any good. And, like, it was even to the point where, like, Aaron Starr was like looking up who owned the Radical Caucus domains and stuff. It was just all this petty bullshit. And I, it's been so much better for everybody the minute I resigned the Radical Caucus um, and said no. And so my position has been definitely officers should not be members of caucuses, but I don't think anyone on the LNC should be a member of a caucus. It, there, there could be a conflict and the debates end up being about the caucus and you, you decrease your effectiveness. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and going back to it, like, I always found that caucuses were kind of weird. And this is really, until the Mises caucus, this is the first time I've actually heard of caucuses within the LP. Um, because they are kind of, again, they're kind of weird for libertarians to be part of caucuses um, and stuff like that. And then now I'm starting to see just like, caucuses more or less just seem to be like people that have the same interest in hobbies like the wrestling caucus or the the seafood caucus and stuff like that so it i mean so those make sense but the mises caucus seems to be the most actually the only one that's really even out there with talking values and everything like that and and it does it seems to be more your anarchist and your minarchist that are kind of helping to try to push those values onto onto most most of the other rest of the party as well and but they're the, also the the loudest voices right i mean they have the loudest voices on twitter they are the most strong armed i guess um and they're not afraid to offend people either yeah i mean, i i'm a fan of caucuses i just think you know the lnc shouldn't be involved with that but um and, and when I'm not in the LNC anymore, I will rejoin caucuses. I think they're very effective at getting towards a common, a common goal. Um, and again, I was very, very involved with the Radical Caucus. They just aren't particularly effective now. They were effective in 2016, um, but not anymore. You know, I don't, they've kind of lost their direction. And the Mises Caucus is the one getting things done right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, um, and this kind of goes to what the future of the party is and, and what it looks like, because I think a lot of libertarians shy away from stuff like, like how outspoken they are and how forceful they are with what they say. Um, like we, we, we spoke about, you know, the uprising and we're going to take over the party type language. Um, but when you start really looking at it, and I'm one of these people who I, I don't like to, I'm more of a finesse speaker. I like to 
get people over on values, right? But at, at, a, at some point in time, you don't win elections by being nice. I mean, Donald Trump proved that exponentially, mm -hmm. right? You might not like what he had to say or, or how he behaved himself, but just it, it was effective. And third party politics aren't the same as major party politics. And that's where I part ways with Justin Amash. Now, first of all, I want to say I respect him like immensely from one whistleblower to another. Like he stood up to Donald Trump. Like yeah. Justin Amash is brave and I respect bravery. I have no respect for cowards, but I think he's completely wrong in like his vision for, for the LP because third party politics are not the same as major party politics. Um, but I can, I can disagree with him as, as to somebody like I highly respect because he's got mm -hmm. more courage than most people. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to use kind of like when it comes to even, I think a lot of, a lot of it is that, like I said, tough talk and everything like that. And I think there's, I like to use a hockey analogy. I'm from Michigan. So I like I'm, I'm a big hockey fan and you have, and, you, and everybody plays a role, right? Um, you have finesse people who are your scorers and stuff like that. Somebody like Spike Cohen or Justin Amash who are amazing speakers. And then you have somebody like Shane Hazel or something like that, who is just this in your face, you know, enforcer. And that's kind of the same way as it is. You protect your finesse players and, 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 you get a lot of attention, but then once you get that attention, you prop them up and that is who you push the message, who actually can get the message out there. And I think you need somebody, people like that in order to be able to go up against the DNC and the, and the, and the GOP. And the, the, the thing is, um, how do you it, it, it even broach this at times is um, we don't have to get anywhere near a majority to change the direction of the country. Um, mm. If you look at any like major shifts that have happened, it's, it's never been with, with great numbers of people. And people don't get inspired by tepid messaging. And Donald Trump really mm -hmm. proved that. I mean, yep. and, and uh, authenticity matters. He was authentically awful most of the time, but he was who he was. Like, you knew what you were getting and that wasn't politics as usual yeah and i think we could learn a a, a lesson from that and like it, it we even see that playing on a really small scale in in the lp like with the shit that's going on with the lnc all of the suits all of the the all the rights people are so offended by some of the things i say like when i said that people who um who believe in COVID passports can go fuck themselves with a barbed dildo. They were so offended by that. Meanwhile, the average hoi polloi loved it. It's such a no. disconnect. Absolutely. But part of the problem, I think, too, is we get so wrapped up into our echo chambers. Um, even in as much as I watch, I love watching, you know, libertarian uh, podcasts and listening to podcasts and stuff like that it seems like the same people going over and over onto each other's channels, which is great. Like I ha I'm having you on right now because we can mm -hmm. talk about this type of stuff too. Um, but I don't see it enough of us branching out and actually going talking to people that are part of the democratic party or Republicans and conservatives. I mean, conservatives are having a complete meltdown right now. And I don't see much um, libertarians going out there and really trying to pull people in, you know, 
from for, that are being disenfranchised by the GOP, which it, it's a huge opportunity. Well, it w- and we now we are actively hostile right now to people leaving the GOP and coming into the LP, which is mm-hmm. like so crazy. For, and it's usually the same people who say, oh, you just want to be a social club. And then when you see a Republican sniffing around that might be interested, you 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 shun you you shoo them away. Um, but they don't do the same to less libertarian leaning people who might be coming from the left. It's this weird identity yeah. crisis we have now. We were the complete opposite in 2008. In 2008, we were basically the happy hunting ground for the GOP. And if there was a Democrat sniffing around, we ran them off. And we need to like stop this whiplash that we do and be welcoming to anybody who's interested in liberty. Who cares yeah. where they came from? We all came from somewhere. I only know two second generation libertarians. And one of them is great, Ovens O'Brien. And the other one is awful, Nick Sarwark. So there's even being a second generation libertarians, no guarantee. So we, most of us, except for those two, came from somewhere. And we need to stop being hostile to those yeah. who are who or coming in like like we were talking before about Caitlyn Jenner. No, she's not yep. perfect on all of the issues, but none of us were when we first came in. Exactly. Um, but but does she have the good Liberty Foundation? Yes, I think the LP should be actively courting Caitlyn Jenner. I and, and and I absolutely agree, and that's what we were talking about before because I was on um, Elijah Schaefer's slightly offensive on the Blaze TV last um, last Friday, and I was I was preaching the same stuff. Um, you know, twenty eight percent of the LGBT vote voted for Donald Trump. Um, there's eighteen million people in the LGBT community that we could be trying to get over to our side and 28% of those voted for Donald Trump. So I, it, it is really interesting. And I, I said it on there that we would love to have those votes. Um, but if, 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 you know, our party is just going to come and be like, no, you came from this side or you came from that side. We don't want you in the party. Um, and that, and then at the same time, we see like when Joe ran that stuff about BLM last year, the then the party gets accused of pandering to the left or pandering to the right instead of trying to see what's really going on and trying to um actually bring people into the into our onto our side because we have to pull from both sides um and we do a lot of people think that you know if we weren't voting a lot of you know GOP people think that we're if we're if we're not voting for them we're voting for libertarian. It's it's like all of our votes should go to them, but that's not how our makeup is. Our makeup is across the broad spectrum, and it's just a lot of people just can't fathom as to how diverse our community actually right. is. And the the it's now the statistics I have are older. I'd like to see something more current, but on average. Um, people who vote for libertarian candidates, it's about a 60-40 split. It is slight, they would have voted slightly more for GOP candidates, but it's certainly not 100%. And mm-hmm. not even all of them would have voted at all. Like me, if not for a libertarian candidate, I wouldn't vote at all. So it's not like the GOP yep. would get my vote. Um, and people really, really do underestimate how many, if there wasn't a libertarian candidate, how many people would have voted for either an independent or a Democrat candidate. Um, yep. they, we still have that. And, and I think part of the why we shoo away Republicans is we're very um, self-conscious about that reputation. And we're so in agony to, to, to shed that we're just 
pot smoking Republicans that we run off interested Republicans yep. um, that are looking to party switch. And yeah, we need we, we need to cut that out. In my opinion, yep. we shouldn't be running off anybody. Yeah, and that's what I found interesting, especially about the uh, the the elections here in Georgia um, in 2020, because I think a lot of people would have had a lot of Shane Hazel's voters going to David Perdue, but that didn't happen. Um, and I, you start looking at the numbers. You look at when Joe got 1.3 percent of the vote here in Georgia, Jorgensen got 1.3 percent. Joe Biden won the state, um, and well. Shane Hazel got 3.4% of the vote in Georgia. David Perdue got 48% of that. So where did those votes actually come from? It, I mean, when you really started looking at it, you could tell that, you know, David Perdue was not going to win that election unless, you know, libertarians switched their vote from Joe Biden to David Perdue, because a lot of those people voted for Joe Biden and then voted for Shane Hazel on the, on the down ballots. You can just see it from the main. Yeah. Just, basic look at it so I, I absolutely think that a lot of people they don't and then they don't understand that yeah libertarian candidates they won't vote they won't come out for you if you don't inspire them you know voters right. will not come out for you and i think that's um i think that hurt and that hurts our party more than anything because people are so willing to jump ship i mean i think a lot of what um joe jorgensen did i i thought she was had a great message, but there was a couple slip-ups, but one or two slip-ups and, you know, the entire party kind of jumps ship, right? I mean, a lot of, a lot of anarchists are going to jump ship when they think that you're trying to pander to the left or trying to get like BLM votes and stuff like that. Whereas I think it's uh, Larry Sharp's rule, the 80-20 rule, where you probably agreed with her over 80% of the time. You should probably vote for her. But, and I think Larry is right, but he's missing something and that explains it more is if you yeah it seems logical on paper that if you agree more than you disagree but you already know she's not going to win so why should you compromise on anything for a losing proposition you'll lose when you know yes 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 but the minute it's like eh, what and it, it, it's all part of a, a good friend of mine, Mark Montoni, wrote an article called Why Hold Back If You're Not Going to Win and Why Pander If You're Not Going to Win. Like the two old parties are great at pandering. And at least if you go and like sell your soul a little bit for them, at least you're going to get something out of it. But why the, the reason people got so upset because they already felt like, listen, we're already on a sinking ship with you and you're going to like feed us rotten fish. That that's why I think we don't understand and why I don't think the 80, 20 rule really, it, it's not a third. It doesn't work in third party politics all the time. It might work to convince people to join the party, but not mm -hmm. necessarily to vote for the candidate. That's a good point. That is, that's, a, that's a really good point, I think. Um, and I think that's a good point to, uh, to probably end this on as well. So, <laughs> um, again, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, this has been a great conversation, and I can't wait to uh, continue to have these conversations with you mm -hmm. and other people as well. Hey, well, thank you so much. I hope you have an awesome day. Yeah, where, uh, where can uh, people find you at? Oh, God. Um, besides on the chopping block on the LNC, uh, 
uh, I have my uh, YouTube channel as well, um, Pink Flame of Liberty. And because I still haven't found another job, I've been broadcasting nearly daily. And it's really LP inside baseball stuff. So that's the that's the main place. Awesome. And uh, make sure you guys go and uh, subscribe to this channel as well. And we will be back uh, here pretty soon with another amazing guest. Thanks again. Hey, awesome. <laughs>